Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep in Thessaly by Clark Ashton Smith. This is first published in Weird Tales, November 1935. I read it. I submitted it uh, to my mom. (laughs) She suggested we do a podcast on it. I'm like, I'm not sure there's enough there. And then I looked at it again, and I I think I sent it to you. And you said, yeah, I think. Um, And now I'm looking at it again. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's a lot more here than I... And... I've been reading a lot of Clark Ashton Smith lately, and it's it's re- he's really intimidating because he has a vocabulary that's even bigger than Lovecraft's in a certain sense, or more interested in obscure vocabulary. But also references. There are number numerous references um, in this. And reading his other stuff, I'm like, damn, this guy, he is... He's even harder than Lovecraft for people to get into, I think. But super reward, rewarding, and uh, I think that that's why this is a good one because even though it's very simple, it's deceptively simple. I think. Uh huh. I I was deceived. <laughs> you were deceived by its simplicity. Yeah, or you- I thought it. I thought, oh, it's just a sound device thing. <laughs> it's just a nice little nothing poem. Um, and I enjoyed reading it, but there's nothing to it. But I think there's more to it than that. Now, I guess that's why I didn't submit it to you originally. And I'm I'm not sure what my mom saw in it exactly, although I know she was moved to narrate it, uh, record a audio version of it for me, which I thought was very nice. And uh, in hearing it and thinking about, well, there's something there. Um, looking at it again, I can see, yeah, there's lots there. I think that it's easy to read this in one clear way. And if you, if you like, Jesse, I'll read the poem, and I'd like to know what you think of it. But I think that there's some other stuff going on in the poem that is cryptic. Mm, yes, definitely. Um, it may well be that we have here an example of something where one can come up with two quite different and ultimately legitimate interpretations, and we may have no way of knowing which is which. Mm-hmm. Shall we give it a try? Please. I'd like to read it. And then what I suggest is that I annotate some of the the arcana and then read it again. Sure. And then you give your reaction. I, mm-hmm. I want to read it without the annotations first, because my guess is, as you said, most people... Many people will not know some of these things. Mm -hmm. In Thessaly by Clark Ashton Smith. When I lay dead in Thessaly, the land was rife with sorcery. Fair witches howled to Hecate, pouring the blood of rams by night with many a necromantic right to draw me back for their delight. But I lay dead in Thessaly with all my lust and wizardry. Somewhere the golden ass went by to munch the rose and find again the shape and manly head of men. But in my grave, I stirred not then. And the black loat in Thessaly, its juices dripped unceasingly upon the rotting mouth of me. 
and worm and mold and graveyard must and roots of cypress darkly thrust transform the dead to utter dust. So here are some notes. Thessaly is um, part of ancient Greek mythology. It's also known as Aeolia. It's the place where the god of the winds comes from, Mm -hmm. Aeolus. Uh, There are a number of important uh, mythological figures, Achilles, uh, Jason of the Argonauts, Uh, And it is a place of great magic. Hecate is a goddess who is worshipped by those who want to do magic. Necromantic comes from the word necromancy, which in its more general use means uh, magic, more specifically black magic, and most specifically divining the future uh, by... Um, sacrificing things, looking at the dead, um, speaking sometimes to the dead spirits who come through one, like a, a medium. The Golden Ass is the title by which the Metamorphoses of Apuleius, Ap- or Apule- Apuleius, is known. It is the only complete novel that comes down to us from the classic period. It's a story about someone who gets transformed. Well, it's got many stories within it, like uh, the Arabian Nights. But the main character, Lucius, um, is trying for something, but in fact gets transformed into a golden ass. And he goes around looking to get, re, you know, get his manly head back again. Manly head is an interesting word. It's that mm-hmm. it, uh, it is in fact quite old-fashioned. The OED doesn't give any. Uh, quotations from it uh, after the beginning of the 17th century. I mean, it, it, in the 16th century is the end. But, it, you know, it sounds like maidenhead, but it's not directly a piece of sexual biology. It is the form of a person or the virility or courage of a man. Mm-hmm. And the word lote is a rare poetic way of saying lotus. Um, the lotus is a uh, in Western culture is a plant that is associated with um, narcotizing uh, effects. It it wipes away memory. So black load has to do with the ultimate wiping away of memory. It's sort of symbolic of death. The cypress is a uh, tree that is associated with mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And one finds it uh, on the margins of cemeteries, for example. The word must, um, which says the graveyard must, there are two things about the word must that come immediately to mind. One is that it's musty, uh, you know, mold and must. Um, But the other is that must is the technical name for the, the, uh, the solids, that are produced during uh, the pressing of grapes to make wine. So if we're talking about um, potions and different kinds of sorcery, we have here um, a graveyard must uh, instead of get, taking a, a mass that will transform the sinner into someone whose soul will live forever. Here, the exact opposite goes. So again, Thessaly is a a classical place with uh, magic and heroes. Hecate is a goddess of um, 
the, of witchcraft. Necromancy is divining with the spirits of the dead. The Golden Ass is a novel about some poor fellow who's being transformed. Um, manly head means form of, of people. The Black Lot is some kind of uh, scary plant. Must is from wine. Cypress is from mourning. Mm-hmm. Shall I read it over one more time? And yeah, then you- please. In Thessaly by Clark Ashton Smith. When I lay dead in Thessaly, the land was rife with sorcery. Fair witches howl to Hecate, pouring the blood of rams by night with many a necromantic rite to draw me back for their delight. But I lay dead in Thessaly with all my lust and wizardry. Somewhere the golden ass went by to munch the rose and find again the shape and manly head of men. But in my grave, I stirred not then. And the black lote in Thessaly, its juices dripped unceasingly upon the rotting mouth of me. And worm and mold and graveyard must and roots of cypress darkly thrust transformed the dead to utter dust. Yeah, so this is definitely got something going on in the background besides the sound, which is is what I was enjoying, as well as all the, you know, the vocab lesson. <laughs> as I go through, I get, I get some, you know, great, I mean, it, it's a poem, so it has... Well, at least it's it's the poem I like, which has a lot of rhymes and sound devices, and they're fun to read. They they've got this meter that's great. Um, first question I asked myself when I read it initially was like, who is speak? Who is the speaker, and what is happening? Um, what's interesting is right in first line we get when I lay dead in Thessaly. Well, so the narrator's dead. <laughs> at least he was at some point, or she was at some point. Um, And then we get this uh, story, which is about how witches in the first stanza try to bring him back from the dead, or at least talk with him somehow after he's dead, to draw them back for their delight, not his. Uh, But he lays dead in the second stanza again. And... Somewhere else, perhaps in Thessaly, the golden ass is going by, doing his part of his adventure. He's still alive. Um, And he is regaining his manly shape. Um, But not him at the end of the stanza. But in my grave, I stirred not then. So in the first stanza, he's called forth and is dead in the beginning of the second stanza. In... uh, comical sort of um, narrative that is the golden ass he still dead and then in the final stanza and black lotus or the black lotus in Thessaly drip onto him unceasingly and worm and mold and must and roots and cypress darkly thrust transform the dead to utter dust he's still dead so how is he telling this story <laughs> That's kind of the issue, I think. Now, uh, I don't think there's a one specific person that uh, Clark Ashton Smith had in mind, but um, he is definitely leaning very heavily on the classics that he must be very familiar with. So in the first stanza, I'm familiar with the pouring of blood of sheep. Um, 
that is in the fourth line, that's uh, in chapter 11 or book 11 of the Odyssey. That's what Odysseus does to help him on his journey. He calls forth the dead by uh, cutting the throats of some sheep and letting their blood fill trenches. And then the ghosts of uh, some famous folks, including some folks that were on his journey with him uh, and are now dead, come and visit and lap up the blood. No, no. Maybe I'm mistaken. So I remember the Odyssey. He has to beat them off because he's saving the blood for the spirit of Tiresias. Indeed. More than one kind of ghost comes. And um, it's uh, it's another play. It's also in another story that I'm very fond of uh, by Philip K. Dick, who takes the same scene from the Odyssey. And uh, it's about a lady who practices witchcraft in the backyard and the narrator is not a fan of witchcraft but when she dies when she does this right he tries to recreate it in order to get her back and it goes horribly wrong so <laughs> this is a, a very interesting opening we've got this in the odyssey originally as you're pointing out uh, people are not it, it doesn't work perfectly because the ghosts are are interested in life. Um, you get competition for the for the the essence of life, blood. And then in in this story, um, the rams are sacrificed by the witches for their delight, um, and it doesn't do anything for him. He still lays dead. In the final stanza, we actually I think are looking at another reference to the Odyssey. Um, now, I can't exact... I remember that there's lotuses in the Odyssey, but I don't remember them being black. Um, the Land of the Lotus Eaters is a is a whole sequence, and it's a very interesting and thought-provoking sequence. But ultimately, um, I think there... If you, like, type into Google and Black Lotus, you'll get all sorts of stuff, but you won't get a specific Wikipedia entry or anything about Black Lotus. However... Um, in the year before this poem came out in Weird Tales, um, Robert E. Howard wrote a very famous, I think his best, uh, Conan story called Queen of the Black Coast. And one of the chapters is titled The Black Lotus. In that chapter, um, Conan has, uh, Black Lotus thrust upon him and falls into a, as you are saying, uh, necro, uh, narcoleptic or sleepiness that is close unto death. And that's how it's used here. It's a thing that keeps you dead rather than a thing that keeps you alive. Um, A thing that wakes you up and perks you up. It's the opposite. And then as you're pointing out, yeah, the golden ass, that story is a a kind of a comic uh, in, in the sense it's a a humorous story, um, a story of uh, it's a picaresque. And in fact is maybe the first picaresque that we know about. Um, so we've got that sort of jaunty life adventure, uh, you know, pro- problem solving. And this is kind of the opposite. This poem is very dark. So I think we what we're seeing here is basically spellcasting. <laughs> and what makes this poem live is that it's saying the dead can't be brought back to life. And yet... It's all full of this contradiction. So that's what I'm seeing in it. 
I am pretty much with you on pretty much all of you said, all that you've said, but I'd like to, uh, to offer a different way of getting at it and maybe suggest why I'm reading it as if it had a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be easiest to do this if I tell you where I'm coming out and then go back and fill it in. Mm-hmm. I think that your notion that the dead can't be brought back to life is crucial here. There is, I think, a a cryptic tension that is it's it's hidden. You don't see it explicitly. Mm-hmm. There's a cryptic tension between the bodily existence of people and the aesthetic existence of people. Mm-hmm. The 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 sorcery that's being done here, the pouring the blood of rams, not sheep in general, but rams in specific, mm-hmm. which are, after all, symbols of male virility, by night, and the word necromantic has romantic in it, mm-hmm. um, the witches do this to draw him back, I presume draw him back to accessibility to them, mm-hmm. to physical life, um, for their delight. Now, there are two ways in which they might be delighted by that. They may be delighted because they want him. You know, that he's um, an attractive physical presence. And they might also be delighted because it gives them the pleasure of being able to perform effective incantation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing something with their words that changes the way the world is. So they're trying to do that, I think, but they're also trying to do it to get him back. And what kind of a guy is he? He says, but, you know, although they did it, I lay dead in Thessaly with all my lust and wizardry. Mm-hmm. So, OK, he was a lusty guy mm-hmm. and he had incantatory power. Yep. But that's not enough. So they want him back to get these two things. And these two things, as you said, Jesse, I think are in contrast. We see that with a reference to the golden ass where, in fact, the wizardry goes all wrong. He wanted to be a bird and he's turned into an ass. Exactly. So wizardry doesn't really give us the bodily stuff that we want. So you die. And then the black loat of forgetfulness, um, in fact, rots your mouth. So you can't really keep speaking. Now, I would like to point out that the last lines can be read in at least one way that I think maybe people didn't come to. And worm and mold and graveyard must, the roots of cypress darkly thrust, transformed the dead to utter dust. Now, let me point out that the word must can also be an imperative. Inevitable. Cannot be avoided. Exactly. And the word utter can mean not only absolute, but can mean to speak. Mm -hmm. So we can read these last lines as that after the guy's mouth is rotted, he is turned into something and worm and mold and graveyard must and roots of Cyprus darkly thrust transformed the dead to make them speak 
of dissolution, transform the dead to utter dust. So there's the dark side of this, right? That if you read it that way, death has made it possible for the speaker to speak only of death, right? He can't, in fact, speak. There is, there is no image here of manliness succeeding. There's no image here of Eros succeeding. That's all impossible to resurrect. But the, if the delight that the witches want is a delight in practicing their incantations, they may fail, but this speaker does not. And I think that's one of the reasons that, at least to me, it is, in fact, a comparatively light tone for a poem entirely about death. Yep. That is, you get pretty darn good, close to perfect rhyme. Thessaly, sorcery, Hecate, night, right, delight. Thessaly, wizardry, went by, again, men, then. Thessaly, unceasingly, me. Graveyard, must, thrust, dust. There's, it works right along. It just comes out pretty easily. And it should because, at least this is how I'm reading it, what we have here is three six-line stanzas. Each, line, each stanza has an A-A-A-B-B-B rhyme scheme. So they're perfect tercets. Each stanza has two of them with two different rhyme words, put them all together and you get 18 lines. Mm -hmm. If you want to think about things that are cryptic, references people may not get, I'll remind you that 18 is in fact the number of life. It's halfway around the 360 degree circle, take it as decades, the 360 degree circle. You go from the darkest to the lightest when you go 18. It is in gematria, in Hebrew uh, numerology, the numeric value of the word chai, life. And what we've got here is something, as for example with Ozymandias, the object, the physical thing may be irretrievable, but the poem goes on. So what we have here in Thessaly, is an experience of the failure of wizardry to bring back the body of this speaker, but it has instead a, a narration of the way in which death has made it possible, in fact, necessary for this speaker to utter dust. The poem is here. The poem is now. The poem can live but it's different from a body. And that's the tension. But we're left with the poem. Yeah, yeah. The poem is self-refuting in a certain sense, right? He's saying um, you can't bring the dead back to life, and the guy who's telling us has been brought back to life in the to tell the poem. So something strange is going on. Um, it, it made me think... That Excuse maybe I'm oh, not sure that it. it's, it's back to life, because remember what you were just telling us mm -hmm. about the spirits coming to lap the blood in in the Odyssey and the very notion of necromancy, which is to divine the future by dealing with the spirits of the dead. Mm -hmm. so the spirits of the dead aren't alive. They're still dead. Mm -hmm. But they can speak. Ah, Yes. 
So um, this uh, this made me think and consider that who the narrator might be might be uh, the writer of the Golden Ass. And now I don't think this is necessarily a, a you know what he intended, but I was just thinking of you know the story of Peleus if that's how you pronounce his name, The Golden Ass, which is a book I've, I've read a lot about and have not yet read and want to read. Um, it's the first no, first Western novel, perhaps. Uh, it's the first... It's the only novel in existence from the Roman period, as far as I can tell. Well, the only complete one. Yes, the only complete novel. And yeah, it also depends on what you mean by, by novel. Indeed. I mean, the, the Constellation of Philosophy is complete. It's that's novel true. length. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's a fiction, but it's a fiction of of the author's life in a certain sense. He was at one point um, uh, put on trial for witchcraft, and that happens in the novel itself, except it wasn't witchcraft. And we have this in, in here. So um, Hecate, the goddess who's called out in that first stanza, is the three-faced uh, or three-bodied goddess, right? Um, and usually that can be associated with the crone and the young woman and the and the middle-aged woman. And that's – we've got plural witches here, right? They're performing magic for their pleasure. Um, they're fair witches, right, which is a nice contradiction. Um, and, yeah, there's a sort of a sexual element in the first part. And in the second one, um, comedic things happen to him. <laughs> And then the last one, ultimately, he's... Well, I mean, there is sex in the second stanza, too, right? Lost and Rose. Are oh, certain, yes. And Manly Head, like Maidenhead. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a failure there. And it's almost like the reason there's a failure in the first one is for the same reason. They're trying to arouse his his uh, manliness and uh, being <laughs> unable to. Um, right. Or perhaps they were able to, but only for a short period of time, as happens. Um, and then in the second stanza, you know, uh, all sorts of silly things happen. Um, and ultimately, uh, the story's over. And then he rots. And it's only by, you know, fortuitous happenstance that we happen to have this one novel, right? That this book exists and this man from 2,000 years ago's story uh, can be retold. Uh, it's actually late second century, so I guess it's 1,800 years ago, Right. Um, this the story could be captured and retold and 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 then Clark Ashton Smith, who along with many others of the period, are reading these classics and and saying, "Wow, this is great stuff! Really interesting," and making their new art out of it. They're bringing the dead back to life, hearing what they have to say, and then making their own stuff. And then, of course, they die, and we pick up these works and bring it back to life again. Poetry is necromancy in a certain sense. And reading anything written down, um, and especially poems, which are, I think, always meant to be read aloud. I think that's kind of what uh, what he's doing. He's having everything in this very simple poem that is what I thought is just, oh, it's a bunch of nice sounds. <laughs> because he has such good meter and such good rhyme. Um, and it's so short. And yet it's got something going on. It's got a lot going on. It does. Uh, I'm in, in full agreement with what you're saying there. I, I would point out that together we are 
coming up with a thesis for the poem, which is that the supernatural cannot save us. Mm-hmm. And the natural only kills yep. and, and disperses the spirit, certainly in the land of heroes and magic. But aesthetics, that does not kill us and that can save us. But going back to what you said to begin with about the, uh, the two different views warring here, mm-hmm. Whoever I is when I lay dead in Thessaly, although he may be saved by this poem, by having created it so it persists, we're only speculating on who I is. Mm -hmm. So maybe I has been saved, but who is I? I guess there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.